0: You're in the lobby. We're going to start the next session if you could bring it on in. John, what time should this go to like 11ish? Are we is lunch at noon? so we're kind of getting into spot. Okay i don't know we'll see if it works out i'm flexible all right if you can bring it back in i just wanted to tell you um i see, there's a lot of talking out there that's going to be really distracting i know right I know, isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, when our kids are outside of youth talking and not going in, this is why. I'm kidding. You know what? While we're while they're wandering in, I just wanted to tell you guys I got to do another Rachel story. That's all right. They'll come in. But Rachel, this was so fun that you guys now see John and Rachel. But we were walking with Rachel after she was crying for not getting into Masters. Then she went to Masters, and we walked through her being at Masters. And what's amazing is John met Rachel when? In high school. He, we were at Point Loma. We joined, our church joined a camp with Grace Community, and John was there, and he was hanging around us in lying like, who's this guy? And, but liked him. And then Rachel went to college and had a couple different Relationships with guys, just starting down a pathway with friendship and whatever. But always in the back of our mind, John liked Rachel. And we knew that. And our family was huge fans of John. In fact, Rachel would be at our house. And John talked about breaking the diving board. But before he broke it, Rachel, John, our kids were swimming in the pool with Rachel. And they were all jumping off the diving board going, John drawing her, because they all liked John. And Rachel was just... I don't know if it was pride or what, but one of my greatest memories ever is she started to date this guy, and she brought him down to our house, and he was a nice guy, but you've got John, 6'5", man's man, loves the Lord, and she brought this guy down, and he just was this soft, really, really very frail-feeling guy, and... I just remember going, what is going on here? And, and the whole time, the best part about that story though is John has made it vocal to many people that he liked Rachel and he was driving in a car with a guy named Kurt Gephardt and some other guys and they're talking and John's expressed to all these guys, I'm losing Rachel to this guy. And they're driving on the Masters College and there he was, the guy Rachel was dating. And John goes, hey, there he is. And they stopped the car and they looked And in unison, they gut laughed in the car, you're losing to that guy? Because he just, he was balding, nothing wrong with having no hair, but at 19, 20 years old, he's balding this frail guy. And look at John, and she finally saw the light and repented. And the funny part about it is, John, John all those years thought we, Tracy and I, were going against him. But we were all the whole time rooting for John and encouraging Rachel in it, so... You're welcome, John. You You owe us big time. All right, we're going to talk about boys to men right now. Um, And just a couple questions before we begin. How does the world depict men today? I need to hear you. How does the world depict... What? Right? It's very fuzzy. I know. That's true yeah sensitive masculine how does the world particularly for men define success today work money money, stuff. stuff what does the world say about work for young men is it you think so There's a, it is. There's a trend right now as young men are growing up that it should just be all about you and your lifestyle and all of this stuff rather than working hard, I think. It's work as little as you can to do what you want. What does the world say about relationships for men? Have at it, right? Just go. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> There's no, there's no um, shame anymore in couples living together. None in our world. Where when I was uh, growing up, that was a rare, much more rare thing. Wayne in his time, can you imagine couples that live together? It, would, it was a, a taboo, right? That it, you just didn't do it. And now the morals are such it's not even talked about today. Love the one you yeah, love the one you with. That's so funny. Listen, we have society's nuts. We have a major uphill battle for our boys. A generation ago, there was an expectation that our boys would become men. The average young man, man at 26 50 years ago was married, had one or two kids, was saving for a home and working a career. What does the average 26-year-old work look like today? Mom's basement. They're still figuring out life. They're either living at home or living with some of their friends. They're playing video games. They're being supported. They're, they're, they're just, what a difference in a generation, 50 years of, of expectations. And then you look at the state of our world today with all this gender confusion nonsense. You know what I don't get? As a de- I never thought our world would come to this point. But I I can understand not that I agree with it. But you can understand the, um, the desire of sin and the world trying to justify sin. So the fact that couples live together and you know the sexual revolution where people were sleeping together and now even the homosexual revolution, that's sin being explained. And that's Romans 1 as our world is getting more and more depraved, that God is giving our world over to various sins. But I don't understand for the life of me this whole gender thing. It's nonsense. It is, it is so irrational, I don't understand how our world has even got. But that shows you a depraved mind that you see in Romans 1. And so our world is getting worse and worse. And folks, it's coming for us in the church. And, and it, is, it, is a, it is something that we have got to raise our kids our boys in particular that we're talking about this morning, to be men. Not to be this wussy thing the world wants them to be, but to be men. And it's an incredible opportunity that we have with them. So listen, this is not about how to raise Christian sons. It's about how to raise Christian men this morning. Developing in them, our boys, a fear of God, talking to them about who they are to be biblically which is wisdom and calling them to obedience in that role which is for their best and when they fail to teach them repentance and have them get back at it get back at it and this morning we're going to look at three major roles of men that are very specific in scripture and very specific to men and with that we've got subpoints under under each of those but the three primary roles that we need to teach our boys is number 1 to be a provider number two, to be a leader, and number three, to be a protector. Those are our three main bullet points this morning, provider, leader, protector. So first, provider. A lot of times we sit there and think that work is a part of the fall, that it was a part of the curse, but I want you to understand something. God designed men to work. It precursors, I want you to look at. In fact, if you have it, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 5. This is pre-curse. It says there now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to what? To work or to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord caused God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it looks, Genesis 2.15, if you scroll down a little bit, it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? Work it or cultivate it and keep it. This role is pre-curse. Hard work or work is not a curse. Our boys, men, are made to work. All right? That's how God wired us and designed us. Post-curse, Genesis 3, if you just flip over a chapter, verse 17, it says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which, about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life, both the thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. In verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, from, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The curse made one difference. The role of man did not change, but the purpose of work did change. It changed from from God providing all things to now survival or provision. Pre-curse, food was provided, but post-curse, food was as a result of labor, if that makes sense. But there was always labor. There was always work. Number two, leader. I just want to look, pre-curse and and post-curse, being a leader. Flip back to Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him, what? A helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Listen, precursor, man was incomplete and needed a helper, a completer. God allows him to name all the animals, so he concludes that none of them are his helper. For this reason, the wife was created to, be, to complete him. He leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. Look at this after the fall. Um, look at Genesis 3, 17. Let's look at the curse in Adam again. It says this, look at how God says he failed. Then to Adam, verse 17, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. What's the point there? Adam abandoned his leadership role. Adam was the one, the wife was created to be his helper, and the trouble, the sin was, he listened to the voice of his wife. His sin was ceding leadership to his wife and eating from the tree. It's an amazing thing. We look at Eve and say, man, I can't believe Eve ate of the fruit. Adam was right there with her. As the serpent was talking to her, Adam was just allowing that to happen. And then his wife took a bite and gave to him to eat. He didn't lead in that. He should have protected her, stepped in and said, get away, right? And led his wife. Post-curse, Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will... Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped. Oh yeah, no, no, Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. And look at this next line. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So leadership is still the role of the man, pre-cursed and post-curse. The problem was it's now going to be much more difficult because we've got you women that want to take our leadership role. In the home, and we're going to get to you women later. I meant that facetiously. In the home, at church, And in the marriage relationship, the role as leader is established before the fall of man. The curse did not cause this role to be established. The curse did not change this fundamental role of man. It was not a punishment that man was made to be the leader. It was good. It was not an oversight or mistake. It was good. Leadership in this context is not a skill, goal, or giftedness. It is a fact of life. It is the essence of the difference between male and female. Do you get that? Husbands, listen, unless gifted with singleness, your boy will be a husband one day, right? Your boy will one day have children of his own. A young man who says, I am not a leader. He may be right, but if it is true, he is in for a very hard life. Do you understand that? He might must be urged to become a leader and develop the skills and disciplines needed to fulfill his role. Do you understand that? A lot of times we look at our kids, they're just not a leader. Our boys need to be leaders because one day they're going to lead a wife and lead a home at minimum. So we need to train them in that. The third one, protector. We're going to go into more details underneath these in, in a little bit. But protector number three. The curse defined Adam's sin as abandoning his role as leader. By implication, it also defines the purpose of that leadership, which is protection from sin. He should have been in front of Eve, guiding her away from sin. I love, we read last night Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26 is amazing. So that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Listen, there's physical protection that should be obvious. We need to teach our boys to become men, to just in the physical sense, protect his family, right? If they're in danger, he needs to be the one to step up. He needs to be the one to do this and and be the one to guard and protect his family. But there's also spiritual protection from false teachers and false doctrines and from sin that creeps into the home. So as a couple, if you agree together that you want to raise a man, you will agree to teach him the fear of God, wisdom, obedience, and repentance to uniquely, as opposed to a daughter, Prepare him to be a provider, leader, and protector. Do you understand that? Scripture is crystal clear on this, and God's word is our authority. And this grates against society, does it not? This goes absolutely against what the world is trying to promote. And so we need to understand the word of God is true, and what better opportunity we have now to to display in our homes a difference to the world than what they're pursuing, the nonsense the world is pursuing. So underneath that, under provider, we're now going to look at some points under it. Disciplines. We, these are the disciplines we want to teach our boys to help them become men. Disciplines, by definition, are the habits that do not come naturally. They will take work. Parents must be committed to that labor. None of what we're about to go through now that, that follows is going to come easy. It takes work to teach our kids this discipline. So the 1st subpoint under there, under the leader, provider, protector, is number one, work. Number one, work. You cannot be a biblical man if you are not fulfilling the most basic role of a man, which is to provide for his family. Listen, the natural bent of young men is laziness. It really is. It is laziness. It takes discipline to love work. They don't want to do it. But look at these verses, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. 1 Timothy five, eight. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Proverbs 6, 6-11 through 11 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. It is important that our boys understand this. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing and a gift from God. Work existed before the curse, and men are called to be hard workers. So how does this practically flesh itself out? Um... How can this happen in the home? Listen, work for your young boys, becoming men begins now. Um, What areas did this happen in our home? Uh, I look at things like homework and studies, um, right? We want our kids to work hard in school, do we not? Their natural bent is to do enough to get by. And we're desiring for them to do their best. That's what I would talk to my boys about all the time. I have two different boys. One, his best was B's and C's. And the other one, his best was A's. So I didn't look at the one son that got B's and C's and say, what is wrong with you, son? I expect A's. His mind is made such that B's and C's were what his goal, his mind was capable to get. But we would look at grades. And one thing that somebody had shared with us that we decided to do is we began to pay our kids for grades. It's a great tool to help them understand the importance of school. And we would pay them really well for A's. And you know what's amazing about it? You're going to give them money anyways, right? So we would pay them, and then they would use that money to help do things and go to meals. They're going to, do you have an in and out in Truckee? Oh, that's really bad. When did we start doing that with our kids? High school, did we ever do it in middle school? Yeah, we did that. Yeah, when they had PE, we would do that. What did we pay? I don't remember. No, I think we did. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's right. 50 for an A. Right. Yeah. So instead of giving them an allowance every week, we'd pay them for their grades, the same results. But they had to work to get that money to do it. But it it taught them that grades are important. And doing our best is important. We did that with all of our kids, but it was unique with our, guy, our boys. I have one boy that's totally competitive and it just caused him to go hard after it in school because he wanted straight A's to get all that money. But it motivates them. There's things in work you need to do around the house, right? Having our boys be a part of that process. And they might do the tray, what's his last name? The, I don't want to help. You, they have to. A part of living in the home son you're helping dad do this and you're helping with different things expect them to do chores have an expectation of what they're going to do and that this again we're boiling this down to methodology you might have a chore chart the more they do they get paid however you want to do that but teach them that work gives them a reward would be my point work comes with a reward it's part of life right we all have jobs and we wouldn't do that job probably if it was for free. We would have to find another job to provide, provide for our family. But work um, comes and gives you a reward. I, I would tell you, we touched a little bit on sports. I'm a, I love sports. I do not like sports when it conflicts with church. And I would tell you, having five kids that all played sports, we figured it out. Um, it was very rare that we ever missed a church event, even Wednesday nights, because of sports. Um, and, and coaches will work with you. So, but I tell you, I love sports. And what I love about sports is it teaches your kids to work hard and be disciplined. And I laugh at my two boys. I had one that when I was doing jobs on a Saturday and working around the house, I had one son that was unbelievable at that with me. He was right there with me. He would, he would I'm still so dependent on him today. It's Sammy, right? I, I That kid, I don't know how you guys live without a Sammy. We're constantly in our home at Sammy. Do you know where this is? Yeah, it's over there, over there. I think he walks into a room and goes, do, 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 and he learns what everything is. I am so dependent on that kid. He he is steps ahead of me and knows the way I think. So when we'll do work around the house, he'll already have things that he knows I need for it. I'm like, this kid's unbelievable. It was a, it's a total blessing. It's it's kind of the way he was wired. So we would do chores around the house, and my other son and chores frustrated the tar out of me. I mean, it was just, what? But it was harder to have him work with me than it was to not, right? That whole thing, but he had to do it, and I would do things like, all right, son, this is your job. Look at me, eyes. I need you to go get the shovel and bring it back. No, it'd be more, I need you to get the Phillips screwdriver, okay? What's the Phillips? It's the one with the plus at the end. Go get it, it's in the top drawer of my thing. Come back and bring it to me. Ten minutes later, where is he? Right? And he got distracted. He's doing something else. I'm like, what is going on with this kid? He frustrated me so much. And then we would flip to sports. And that son that frustrated me about the house worked his tail off in sports. He was constantly, he was a basketball player. He was outside shooting, working on his game. Not silliness, but working at it to be good at it. And that son that helped me around the yard He played basketball as well, and I would constantly look at him and go, Sammy, why are you not practicing? you want to play more? you got to work on it outside of practice. And that was not his strength per se. So it was trying to teach him discipline in sports, trying to teach my other son discipline in work and chores. They're different, but we teach them to work. We need to teach them that work is a gift from God. A man should find pleasure in his work. God designed for man to work. Therefore, God's will is for a man to work. Teach the connection between working and eating. And if I can encourage you this, dads, we need to be an example of this to our kids. You need to pursue excellence in your work. If we're expecting our kids to be hard workers, look at your own heart first. We talked yet last night about caught versus taught. If you're not modeling working hard, don't expect your boys to work hard. We as men pursue excellence in our work. Can I encourage you on this, men? Be careful about complaining about work, right? Sunday night, work tomorrow. You're just like Trey Young, but a grown man, right? What's his last name? Kennedy. Trey Kennedy. Yes, it's Friday, right? And all we do, we treat work as like it's this thing that we have to do, and yet I want to go have fun. And there's nothing wrong with fun. But if your passion is fun and work to you is a drudgery and that's what's communicated to your kids, don't expect them to be hard workers. They're learning from you. Actions speak louder than words. Be careful to exhibit joy in your work. It's a privilege that you have. Talk to your boys about the reality of works, uh, Reality for, we, for work, sorry. It is easier for them. Um, I, I used to tell my boys all the time, Boys, you know what's crazy? This world, what are guys like today? We would just, just like we did about boys and the way they are, I would look at them and I'd say, you have it so much easier than I did. When I was your age, all guys worked hard. They did. It was just a natural thing that they, their work ethic was more a part of our society than it is today. So if you learn to work hard, son, you are going to stand out and you are going to have success in such a greater way. Don't don't be like them. I'd cast a vision of what you could be like in the future, son, but this comes with work and working hard. Moms, if I can encourage you this, express appreciation for the hard work of your husband to your boys all the time. Tell them how thankful you are that dad works late. And if dad has a meeting and is gonna be late for dinner and if you as a mom go, gosh, can't believe dad has a meeting, right? Then the boys are learning, ooh, work, not good. Just, hey, it's a a bummer. It's a bummer that he's missing dinner. But listen, dads, if you're a workaholic, let's go there, right? Because there's a balance here. But if a random thing comes up, mom, praise it. Dad, look at dad. He's willing to miss dinner with us kids. He would so much want to be with you guys, but work is calling this, and he's doing it because he wants to honor the Lord, and what a great thing. Wives, build up your husband and what they do in front of your kids. Hard work, number one. Number two, money. Money. What does the world say about money to our kids? You're right. Success comes with a lot. I'm always amazed. So I, I own a company and we interview a lot of young men. I'm blown away with these kids as they come up now. They're, still, they're kids to me, these young men. They all expect to make six figures and not work very hard. <laughs> And you're like, what pathway are you on, right? They just don't get it. But, but listen, in the midst of that, tr- teaching and training our kids about money, two disciplines under money that are important to consider. First is contentment. Contentment. We do need to teach our kids that more money never produces contentment. In fact, it produces greed, right? First Timothy 6, 6 through 11 says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Verse 7, for we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with, with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 11, but flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We do need to teach them to be satisfied with what they have. It's a great thing to talk to young men about their stuff. You know what's amazing? You can get them Xbox, whatever it is now. What is it? I don't even know. It used to be PlayStation 1, 2, 3. They've got, you know, whatever it was. The next gaming system, when I talk to our youth kids all the time, you guys are so into games and think they're so cool. I just can't wait. Just steer this into your mind, student. I can't wait till you're my age. When you're 53, your kids are going to laugh at this gaming system, right? The students in youth group then are probably going to be in some sweet suit, living it, right? And who knows what it's going to look like. You're, they're going to look at your games and laugh. It's going to be, remember that game Pong? That's what I started out with, that stupid game Pong, I played that with my friends, and, and you think, that look at how archaic. Just wait. None of it matters. Be content. You talk to students. Uh, uh, challenge your kids. Go home today and say, what would you get for Christmas this year? Three months ago. You're, they're not going to remember, right? And we think this stuff matters and all of that. We need to teach them to be content. The second thing we need to teach them is to be generous or generosity, It is difficult for disciplined giving to the church to coexist with materialism. Do you understand that? To the church, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what I love about Scripture and I love about the Old Testament? The Old Testament's amazing to me because God laid it out as they were to give sacrifice. And I love the picture because if, if God left it up to, up to us and said, all you have to do is sacrifice for me, at, for this festival, a sheep. And I had 22 sheeps out in my pen. If I just had to grab a sheep, what would my tendency to be? I'd go out and look at the 22. What am I looking for? The ones about to die, right? Broken hip. The most ugly, frail thing, there's my sheep. But God says that we are to give our what? Best, the best of your flock is what you are to give. And that's what it should be in our giving. You as a family need to be committed to giving to church. Be committed. I'm amazed as I work through, Tracy and I work with young couples a lot of times, they're approaching marriage through their budget. And when I I, I just say, I want you to do a budget for me. And then we sit down with them and walk through the budget And usually, the result of how they got to their conclusions is, here's what I anticipate making. Here's all my bills. Here's what's left over. Here's what I want to save. So therefore, here's what? What I'll give to church. That was the frail, ugly, lame sheep they just gave. It should be, here's what I make. Line item number one, giving. And I want you to know, study scripture on sowing and reaping. We are not about prosperity, we are not health, wealth, prosperity that God promises to make everybody healthy, wealthy, rich, and blah, blah, blah. blah. But listen, there is a sowing and reaping principle all throughout scripture, all throughout it. That God even says in Malachi, test me, fill my vats, and then see what I do for you. God honors giving. I laugh at young families that are struggling, they're saving, they're trying to do, get, get through life. And you know what's amazing? If they don't give faithfully, you know what I watch all the time? Stuff breaks in their life all the time. They never get ahead. And I think that's God's sovereignty working in their life saying, I don't have your heart because your giving is reflective of what your heart is. And so you make giving a priority. It's unbelievable how the Lord allows things to work. And we need to teach that to our young boys. And it is so fun to work through with them. I remember when one of my sons started getting a, he got a job, his, a real job, or like he was making money in the summer and he was trying to figure out how to pace his way through college. And I said, son, what are you gonna give out of that? And he goes, oh, dad, that's a lot of money, right? If I, if I do that, I, I, I go, son, and he goes, I know you're right. And I just would talk to him, I promise you the Lord will honor it. I promise you, give faithfully. Man, if you haven't been around men that are givers, I remember I went I'm a boater. I think some of you, Andy, you guys drove ski natiques on the lake for the surfing thing. I went back to Natique. I know the, the granddaughter of the owners of that company. And I met him. He was 95 years old, named Ralph Maloon, and went back to the factory. And uh, he gave me a whole tour of Natique. You go in their warehouse, and their motto, their, their corporate statement is building boats for the kingdom of God. And he began to tell me how God has used his boat-making business to spread the gospel throughout the world. And you know what's amazing? He sat me down 95. He could hardly walk around the place. He took me through the research and development area and opened the doors. And I'm in there with my phone taking pictures. And I watched everybody looking at me. And we walked out of there. And they all came running over. Delete all those pictures, right? I'm in the R&D department. I can send that to Mastercraft or... Wherever And Ralph didn't have any clue. Hey, guys, just walk me through and let me take pictures. Dear man, he then took me to Cracker Barrel as a 95-year-old man. And he said, we sat down, we had dinner, and he said, Robert, if I can encourage you on anything, you cannot outgive God. He says, make it a goal that by the time you're my age, you're given 50 to 90% of your income to the Lord. Give it. You cannot outgive. And you know what's amazing? The older I get, I'm like stuff means less and less. And we need to be kingdom oriented and we've got to get our boys to get their right perspective of money. That money is about the kingdom. They need to be given to the church. They need to be giving to others. 1 John three seventeen says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? They need to give to others. What does this look like practically? Giving. Giving establishes the proper priorities of money. Disciplined giving puts money in its proper perspective. Disciplined giving demonstrates contentment. And disciplined giving requires planning. Work through it with your sons. There's great things when your kids are young. Have you seen the banks they have, right? When they get money, they can give some to savings, some to church, and some to themselves. There's systems that they can do. But it is the sweetest thing when you see little ones begin to give on different things. Sometimes they even overgive. That you're like, whoa, right? They, they make... They make 20 bucks and they say, I'm gonna give it all. Whoa, okay. Right? We're like, that's a little harsh, a little high, but look at their heart. So we then determine as parents, wait, son or daughter, let's not do that. Let's only give two dollars. And what do we teach? Let them go give it away. What is 20 bucks? They're learning a heart of giving to others. But you walk through it, and as they begin to have a job, you need to teach them and train them. They need to learn contentment. Contentment comes from a right relationship with God, not wealth. Everything we have was loaned to us. Physical contentment threshold in scripture. You know what contentment is? Food and clothing. That's what the Bible guarantees us. We live in America. I tell people all the time, you know, it's crazy. Somebody mentioned the social, ge- you know, it's unbelievable about what we're going through. We are the top of the top in the world in America, right? We're fighting over the top. Talk about how selfish we are. It is everybody fighting to, we're already all the richest and we're now just fighting amongst ourselves to be even higher. Teach your son to flee from the love of money. Model it, talk about it in your own life, about how the Lord blesses when you give. Talk about it freely with them. All right, number three, and this falls under now leader and protector. I combine both of those, but point number three is purpose, purpose. A biblical man knows who he is and what he's about. Said another way, he knows he is or will be a provider, a leader, and a protector and acts accordingly. He is not known as an idle, lazy person. Ephesians 5.15 says, therefore, to young men, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Listen to this phrase, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Our young men, our boys, are to be careful, to be wise, to be strategic, and to be purposeful in that phrase. I mean, in that verse. A young man should be trained to understand and explain the why of everything he does. He should now, in high school years, start to be able to tell you why he's doing what he's doing. And we need to see them begin to live purposely. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Listen, what is Paul saying here? I run to what? Win. Win our boys need to be going after it in life to go do their best they run with direction they swing to hit make your body your slave and that's very disciplined lifestyle that's what we're looking at for our boys as they become men and listen practically this does not mean no fun but it does mean that it's not only fun right be careful on that pendulum but it is being balanced what are major time wasters of young men today Video games, phones. What else? Girls. Movies, TV, sports can be too much, right? Um, we had a lot to balance. The the standard in our home as our kids did stuff was we always wanted our kids to do their best. And we just would ask them, how'd you do in your grades? Was it your best? And a lot of times you'd see a lot of them go, no. And I don't by the way, if a C was their best, I'm, ha, I'm thrilled. I just wanted them to work hard, Tracy and I did, and do their best. This is what was expected. They need to understand that why we expected them to do these things was because it was for their best in the future, does that make sense? Son, I want you to learn this, because you need to provide for your family one day. And they do think they can be YouTubers. They think I can make a fortune doing video games. You know what's crazy? One of the biggest um, counseling things we have with young couples in our church is the wives go, they're playing games all the time, video games. And she's like, I'm here all night, and he just wants to game. It's crazy to me. And I loved video games when I was a kid, but I'd, would, I'd be outside all day playing, right? And then you come in and have some time with it. We need to be balanced. All right, number four, convictions, convictions. The essence of biblical manhood is the merging of strength and courage. This points to the biblical man who demonstrates the strength and courage of his convictions, not his abilities. Leadership cannot exist without firm convictions. I love this verse. Have your boys memorize this. Talk to them about it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It says this, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong great verse. This verse summarizes manhood in every way. Be on the alert. Protective. Stand firm in the faith. Lead. Be strong. Protect and lead. Be a man. You know, I took my kids when we were in high school. There was a, a bunch of Christian rappers that were do, big in the Christian scene. And I took them. There was a tour called Man Up. And it was all these Christian rappers. And, and I was blown away with, we go to this concert. It was in LA at the Palladium. And it, the crowd looked like it was a rap concert. It was, you know, just they looked like came off the streets and thugs. And then you got these rappers that had these unbelievable backgrounds of growing up and crazy things. And the concert, I get in there and it's chairs lined in like the shape of a horseshoe, laid out. And I'm like, I wonder what that is. And the con, you think a concert, right? They're going to start out with the best song and just go after it. They all walked out with their wives all of them as couples, and came up on the stage. And they just began to talk, and it was primarily the wives talking about these men and how they led in their relationship and how they were the ones that created the the standards in the physical realm. And they were the ones, and I remember one of them, um, one of the rappers, Shobaraka. I remember the name. Shobaraka's wife says, he, he sat me down. He, he got on a knee and proposed to me. We hugged. We said, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. We're, we're going to get married. They were now engaged. The next thing he did is he sat her down and he said, honey, I want to talk to you. You're still not my wife. Our standards still exist. They led in it. What are, what are the way uh, relationships typically happen in, Christian, in the Christian world? Who typically leads in the realm of the physical? Guys will do whatever the girl allows them, typically. It's backwards. In every place in Scripture where men are told to man up, be strong and courageous, it is in the context of what the Lord is going to do. Therefore, strength and courage do not come out of physical prowess. It is based on spiritual maturity and faith. A strong and courageous man is a faithful man who is confident in the purposes of God. Do you understand that? That's where their courage comes from. I love. And and talk to your boys, your young boys in particular. Read through David and Goliath. It is the most amazing story because here is this ruddy teenager who goes to battle and Goliath is there mocking these trained men, right? He's mocking the army. And David comes in and hears what's going on and what is David concerned about? Why is David upset? God is being dishonored, right? Right? So David isn't looking at Goliath, who was eight feet tall and a trained warrior. David was saying, he's mocking God. Who's going to stand up to this man? God is going to take care of whoever the man that's going to stand up. And nobody does. So David says, I'll do it. He tries on the armor. It doesn't fit. He goes down to take on Goliath with five smooth stones. And you know what? He probably was obviously with practice really good at a sling. But I'm always amazed. Smooth stones in a river are flat stones that you probably use for skipping, right? You take a stone like that and you throw it, is it very accurate? It's got a curve to it and it's got the ability to do different things. I'm always amazed at how um, just the, the target practice that it would take to be good at something like that. Shooting a gun, far different, way easier than being able to sh- throw a sling. And it says in there that after all the mocking, you come to me with sword and spear, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Goliath gets furious And looks at him and and is just livid. Goliath then goes after him, after all of this nonsense of David saying, I'm going to cut your head off. Are you kidding me? Goliath rushes at David. Now, if I was David, a ruddy 16-year-old with rocks, Goliath is coming at me. I would be back. I'd have quickness, I would figure, right? So I'd be backing up, throwing my rocks. And if I ran out of rocks, I'll just ditch and dodge until he, you know, he can't get me. But you know what it says there? David did what, you know? Ran directly at him. It is the greatest, greatest illustration of a young man. He goes hard after Goliath, pulls out a stone. First one hits him, but I guarantee you, if stone one missed, he'd keep running. Stone two missed, running. Three, four, five, he would have kept running and just gone after Goliath, figuring I'll take his sword. He wouldn't have stopped because he knew that God was going to be the one to protect him. Amazing courage, amazing conviction, and our boys need to learn that. God uses the strong and the courageous. This is a learned discipline. For a boy to learn strength and courage requires training that tests their strength and courage. Do you understand that? They need to be allowed to go after things. They need to be allowed to fail. Listen, really practically, teach your sons to have convictions, to base those convictions in the truth and wisdom of God's word and to live according to those convictions, and then allow his strength and courage to be tested. Allow his character and convictions to become his own. Stop doing everything for him. Stop protecting moms, your little boy. Let him fail. Let him get beat up at school verbally. (laughs) Let things happen, right? If some kid says something mean to our little boy and you, his mom, run on campus and confront that kid or talk to the teachers and da-da-da-da, you are just destroying your son. Help him learn to deal with all that stuff. Parenting out of fear stunts the growth of your son's strength and courage. God will not fail him or forsake him if he puts his confidence in God. God will be with him. We need to teach them courage. Number five, time is getting away. Humility. Humility. What is humility? When we think of that word, what's humility? What's that? Humble. A right perspective of yourself. Good. Yeah, good. They would, right? That's what the world would say, wouldn't they? Well, does the world value humility? Not at all. Grace, Good. really good. It's all true. It's amazing to me. Our society would destroy and look so down upon a humble man. But get this, we just talked about strength. Strength and grace combined in one person is the ultimate measure of a man. Did you hear that? Strength and grace combined in one person is the ultimate measure of a man. Strength and courage mixed with pride is ungodly and toxic. Do you understand that? So if our boys are confident and strong, but prideful, toxic, we need to teach them to be strong and courageous in the Lord. But with that comes humility. The leader, provider, protector is the man who devotes his life to the service of others. First, second Timothy 2.1 says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This verse annihilates the culture and popular view of strength. Look at that. Be strong in what? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. True strength comes from Christ. It is undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Contrast that with the world version of manhood, which is pride, right? Humility is wimpiness or weakness. But the biblical leadership is servant leadership. Our boys are to be slaves. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, You, younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Micah 6, 8, great verse. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's the practical. Living in the recognition that everything you have is from God, right? You might be a great athlete. God gave him that strength and ability to do that. Be humble, Lord. Thank thank the Lord for that. It's not you. As they do different things, we give credit to the Lord in the midst of that. Teach your son to look for opportunities to submit to others. A humble man is never free from accountability and authority. He looks for it. Listen, another plug for your youth ministry. Have your kids, your students, be under the authority of a youth staff leader. Be good with that. Want that. It is teaching them to come under the authority of others and to be humble. You know what's amazing? What do we tend to do when a coach on a sporting team is, you believe, unfairly treating your child? What do we do? We then want to talk to the coach. Why is my son not playing? Really? I remember looking at my son, and I, I would, he, who was the basketball player, and he, when he entered high school, was, was he even five foot tall? He was 5'1". He was a tiny thing, and, and he wasn't very impressive physically. And he'd walk into practice, and he was frustrated at the beginning because he wasn't with, like, it, it, he was in the middle of it and didn't, wasn't getting the opportunities that he thought he had or should have based on what he knew he could do. The coaches weren't giving him enough opportunity. And I just remember we'd say to him all the time, go out work all of them. You outwork all of them and see what happens. And I'd say, when you're running lines, who's coming in first every time? I am. I want you to stay late at practice. I want you to do all this. And he started to do that. And then he rose through practice. And all of a sudden, he's the starting point guard. And all of this happened. It wasn't us calling his coach saying, you're not giving my child a fair shot. What is that? Even if the coaches are wrong. They are to learn to submit. What are you going to do when they're a man and their boss is not right to them? You're going to call their boss for them? they got to learn to deal with this stuff in life, particularly in high school. When difficult things happen, let them figure it out. Don't step in for them. It's amazing. So many men have wildly generous views of themselves and pride. Often this comes from a home where he is spoiled, catered to, pampered and praised. Listen, let them fail. Stop training him by your parenting that he cannot and will not ever fail. When he does fail, let him feel the consequences. Without the risk of failure, there's no motivation for success. Let him fail. It's okay. It's a good thing. Teach him. How could you have done that different, son? What would you do different next time? And go after it. They learn. They figure it out. All right, number six. A one-woman man. A one-woman man. This is about sexual purity. A biblical man understands that other than a very rare circumstance, he, this man, our boy who is becoming a man, is called to love, lead, protect, and provide for one woman in his life. Do you understand that? That's the biblical model. Our boys would love, lead, and protect one woman. Not you, moms. Another woman, right? He should be prepared for that. And this truth should be the guiding light in all of his relationships with girls and women. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4 3 through 8. It says this For this is the will of God. What is God's will for your life, son? Your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. That is a great passage. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It is their responsibility to abstain from sexual immorality, to live in a, as a vessel of honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, that no man t- transgress, and I love this word, defraud his brother. You can defraud a young woman by overpromising things. You can defraud her heart. And look at this, verse 6 and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Son, God knows and God will avenge whatever it is that you do. He will avenge that in your life. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Listen. God's will for our boys' life becoming men is sanctification, purity, and honor, right? With that is purity within their relationships. Honor is chivalry, exclusivity with a girl. Lustful passion of the Gentiles here is emotional and selfish. This is how the world behaves. You are not to behave that way. All the music your kids are listening to is telling them the exact opposite. The whole worldly system is you follow your feelings. And you just allow your passions to go. That's what the Gentiles do. Even if not a believer, it is wise to stay away from such sin and consequences because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. And this is a great verse too. 1 Timothy 5.2. The older women as mothers. It, it's talking about to the older... Tr- young men are to treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. And I love this conclusion of the verse. In all purity. You know what all girls are to them at this stage in their life before they're married? They're sisters, Lord willing, in Christ, and they are to treat them in all purity. That is not their wife. The the likelihood is that is going to be another person's wife. You are to treat them and even teaching them to protect them in the midst of youth group. And I know this youth group's kind of young, but as your kids all start to come through here, we want young men in this youth group that are going to guard and protect those girls that they're going to look at them as sisters in Christ. They're going to watch the movies they see as friends. They're going to watch the conversation that it doesn't go into immoral talk to protect the minds of those girls. That's what we want our young men to be when they're in high school. I'll tell you today, so the goal then is to creating in our, in our young men a, a, a one-woman mindset. And I'll tell you, pornography today makes this extremely difficult. And I, listen, when I was a young man, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and the temptations of wanting to see pornography were very real in my heart, but by God's grace, I had to walk into some sleazy building to get it. I wasn't about to do that. I was scared to death. I couldn't imagine walking through those doors and what I would find in the people there. Now, we give them phones that they can access everything they want in life. And it is a very real problem. And I think sometimes in the church, we blow it as Christian parents talking to our kids about sexual purity in that we tend to as parents tell our kids, "Oh, sex before marriage, it's bad, it's wrong, don't do it, don't mess, don't touch them, are you being good, Better, blah, 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 We make this incredibly negative thing. And I think sometimes we need to change the perspective that folks, God gave us sex in the midst of marriage. It is the greatest gift we have physically this side of heaven. And it is a great thing that God has designed. What we're telling you, son, is don't mess up the future. Hold tight, hold fast. It's incredible, sons, it's incredible. I would look at my boys and say, guys, it's awesome. Greatest thing you will ever experience. Don't mess with things in life. And then we go down the pathway of pornography. And I talk to young men all the time about pornography. And the way we look at it is, listen, pornography, you might think it's you on your own. Young men, this is what they do. They think, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just watching something and I'm experiencing this on my own in my room. Nobody knows. It's an okay thing. But what they're not realizing, it messes with their mind. And I tell young men all the time, what you're doing if you are watching pornography is you are changing your mind such that when the real thing actually happens, you will never be satisfied. We've counseled too many couples that the wife, they get married and the wife doesn't understand that their husband is still watching pornography. They're going, I don't get it. I'm in the bed right now, and if he wanted to have sex, I'd do it. And he's off watching pornography because their minds are messed up. It never fulfills them, and it's never satisfying. I've used the illustration with our youth group. I said this. If I today, students, could go to you, today I'll give you $1,000, right now, $1,000, but you can't tell anybody, I can't tell you where I got it, you can't let anybody know that you got this money, you gotta hide it, you can go buy certain things but you gotta be really careful, you gotta be on the down low on this thousand bucks, right? Didn't come from a good spot, it's dirty money, but you can have this thousand bucks, keep it on the down low, I'll give that to you today, or In five years, I'll give you $10 million. $10 million, free and clear. It is yours to take, to do whatever you want with, to proclaim to the world that you have this. What would you choose? And to a man, the $10 million, obviously. Why would I do that? Why would I take the risk on that? And I tell them, that's your sexual purity. That is... Pornography and what it's doing to you. When you watch pornography, that's $1,000. The more pure you are before marriage, the more God blesses it. And to, to have that mindset of not bad, wrong, um, don't do it, but to have the mindset, son, wait. Just wait. The more you wait, the better you do, the greater it is. And men, if I can encourage you, our wives do not understand the draw of pornography. But we do as dads. Sit down with your sons. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about the dangers of it that it does to your mind. I remember telling my kids, my boys, listen, when does it happen? When is the struggle? It's when they're sitting in their rooms all by themselves, right? It's when it happens. Then we talk to them about fleeing youthful lusts. And I say, listen, if you're struggling, get out of there. Just come sit by me. Just come sit by me and say, hey, dad, how's it going? And you watch, just watch what happens. That that your mind that is going crazy, it dissipates as soon as you get out of that environment. But get out of there and fix it, and and work through. Folks, protect your phones, protect your. You got to be smart in technology because it is a very real thing. But we want our kids to know our young men that they need to have mental purity, and that's in their music, in their movies, in their video games, whatever it is they're watching, and. In social media, they need to be protecting their minds. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 10, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. We, we, I think this afternoon we're going to talk about dating. Listen, dating is really divorce training. really is. If our kids are, think about dating in high school. Boy and girl like each other, we're gonna get together, we're gonna date, and I um, don't like him anymore, I'm breaking up with him. Okay, let's do it again. That, right? now they're going relationship to relationship, just when I get frustrated with you, we break up. You're setting a pattern in your life. Now I'm not saying the first person your son or daughter dates, they need to now marry, but be careful. We would tell our kids all the time there's no point in dating in high school, no point. Nobody's going to be there. And you've got some kids that are going to embrace that. You have others that are going to fight against it and say it's stupid. All my friends are allowed to do it. But walk through biblically how you're going to remain pure, son. How are you going to remain pure in all of this stuff? And, and, and they, they know it's going to be hard. They know it. So you begin to teach them that. When is a young man ready to date? When he is ready to be married. Right? When he's ready to be married. That's the hardest thing, because when they're in middle school, you don't want to put too much in their mind, right? Like, for me, when did we start with sex? Would it be like sixth, fifth, sixth grade? Little by little, you kind of talk. Yeah, you don't dump it all on them at once. We would just kind of bring thoughts in, whatever they could handle, but you grow. But I would tell you with my boys, that the hardest thing for me wasn't necessarily talking to them about sex as much as it was talking about the dangers of pornography because I was always worried if you go to your kid and say, son, you got to be careful. There's stuff all over the internet. What? Right? And they're this blissfully ignorant kid. There's stuff on the internet. And so you just, that was always the hardest thing with my boys, but it's typically middle school. I would tell you seventh grade, it is all about relationships in seventh grade. Uh, at any school I've ever seen, yeah, because girls are now mature, their hormones are kicking in, these blissfully dumb boys are walking around, and all the friends are saying, "Who do you like?" and "Who do you like?" And all of this stuff is it's all happening. Um, so I, I, we would talk about dating you know, it would be kind of a thing in our home that we don't date in high school. That was our rule. That doesn't mean we made the statement once and it went on and never was challenged. We had one that dated somebody um, behind our back that, that we found out about and had to make um, choices and all of that stuff. So they're kind of all of the map. We had a nut, you know, and, and a lot of that is the environment they're in and what they can handle. You're watching them just work through that time, hoping, you know, seeing what their heart can handle. Yeah. They do. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yep, without question. Yeah. Wayne, you had your hand up. Mm. Yeah. 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 It is true. Yep. I know. how not get pregnant. having sex, Yep. Yep. I'll tell you, public school in the state of California... They are striving to indoctrinate our kids to do and believe the exact opposite of what we would want. What you say... Q with them. yeah it's always a hard balance because you, you know and study your kids one might be a knuckle-headed whatever that you don't want to put thoughts too soon so it that was the hardest thing was dealing with pornography uh-huh Yes, in the back. Without question. Yeah. Totally agree with you. 100%. Um, it's 1130. Does anybody else have any other questions? But engage, yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And Lord knows I don't need that. <laughs> You're not going to win that, right? Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Crazy. And, yet, and, and even, again, our whole worldly system, how could you hear him talk about the self-esteem of our kids? They're trying to build up these prideful mongers. And, and we, are, we are the exact opposite as believers. Son, you're not that great. You're, in fact, you're a sinner, right? But God is great and you can do incredible things when you put your trust in God. So, so true. Thanks, Wayne. Let me pray. And then I'm having a feeling we're going to do lunch sooner than, okay. Let me pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Lord, thank you this morning. I don't know why i said tonight but father thank you for our time uh lord just that your scripture is so clear i pray that we'd see a generation of young men at this church grow to lord be uh, just providers to be leaders and to be protectors that we would see them learn these disciplines and that father you would give these families wisdom in dealing with these boys that they're raising lord as we desire to see them become men and do mighty things for your name pray that they would have an impact on this community for christ that Lord, just to see them grow Uh, and, Lord, be used for the kingdom is our greatest uh, prayer. I pray that they would be men and act like men. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.